Welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. This is a space we've created to explore the components of diversity, inclusion, and cultural competency. Cultural competency. And all of the ways in which these components present themselves in our professional and personal lives. Be it language, culture, socioeconomic class, gender, race, ability level, age, or so many other identifiers. Everything begins with a conversation. conversation. Join us in this space where we seek to empower, educate, and uplift by creating authentic conversations on issues that affect us every day in every way. We look forward to you joining us in our discussions with everyone from thought leaders, diversity and inclusion strategists, students to CEOs in the corporate, education, and nonprofit sectors. Let's discuss how we can better understand differences and leverage commonalities. Let's do away with political correctness, explore ideation, build community, and create allies. Let's start an authentic conversation. This is the Global Fluency Podcast, and this is Bertine Crevacore West. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. My name is Bertine Crevacore West, and I'm delighted to be your host. Today, I'd love to welcome a very special guest, my friend and colleague, Renton Weber. Renton, can you say hi to everyone? Hello, everybody. So delighted to be here. Thank you, Bettine. Thank you. And Renton is joining us all the way from New Zealand. So it's a massive time difference for us, which I think is kind of fun and confusing at the same time. (laughs) Definitely. It's been a year like that, hasn't it? Like conversations across national borders are way easier. It seems people people are much more open to these conversations. Absolutely. I'm grateful for it. It's fun. It's a great way to meet and make new friends and, and really have amazing conversations. So thank you for joining us today for on my, what is it, Friday evening almost and your Saturday morning. So Yeah. <laughs> so everyone, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Brenton. Brenton is a customer experience advocate. He's New Zealand's first accredited customer experience specialist. And he's the founder of Halftime Orange. He's a change maker, a music maker, and a fledgling podcast host. He says fledgling. I say highly accomplished. And he focuses <laughs> on customer service, training, business consulting, market marketing consulting, project management, management consulting, change management, and executive coaching. Brenton, my friend, welcome to the Global Fluency Podcast. Thanks, Bettine. Yeah, no, as I said, delighted to be here. I mean, we've spoken a few times already. Yeah, I've have I've had you on my fledgling podcast. Yes. Uh, we're still working through that edit at the moment, but I've been so excited about um, talking to you again. Me too, me too. And uh, you know, for our listeners, um, Brendan and I can talk off air <laughs> for what I know to be hours and hours and hours. So I feel like I found my twin way across a pond. So <laughs> it's so great to to really just have you on the show. I've been looking forward to our conversation. And partly too, because I I love the work that you do with regard to customer experience. So I want you to tell our listeners about this because on Global Fluency Podcast, we talk about every aspect of diversity. And so this is what brings me joy, but it's also why I'm curious and what keeps me curious. Uh, because I, although we do discuss race, ethnicity, and nationality, I do love discussing all the aspects that that make diversity what it is. Because then it leads us into intersectionality, and and you and I, for example, have so much in common. Even mm-hmm. though we don't live in the same place, we look nothing alike. We speak with different accents. We grew up eating different foods. I'm certain, you know. So 
and this is where the world has brought us, right? Which is really cool. So yeah. I, I mean, we have that. very di- what I where I see is we have very different demographics. Yes, we do. We do. And throughout my career, I've seen this drive to segment us into demographics. I mean, that that happens in media all the time where I've spent a vast amount of my career. Um, And yet really what makes us united is the qualitative aspects. It's not the demographics. It's our interests, the reason why we, it's our favourite films and why we love them. It's where we get our information from and how diverse our thinking is the the who the how do, you, how do we say it? it's like not what we are but who we are right I love that I love that and you said something off air that I really loved um being invited to the diversity disco table is it yeah yeah well, that was I, I can't claim that that was actually um from a from a wonderful guy here in New Zealand called Eric Chua who is well, along with um, Graham Haddon, they're the two owners of the Cookie Project. And their, their whole mission for the Cookie Project is, as in Eric's words, is to invite as many people onto the disability dance floor as they can. Because their, pro- their project, the Cookie Project, is making huge waves here. They make One, they make the most delicious cookies in New Zealand. But that really is where the story starts because their cookies are made by um, physically, mentally and cognitively challenged individuals who for the first time in most cases are getting a minimum wage and are incredibly engaged in what they do. And people, I've, I've only met them recently and I spent the first half hour waiting for Eric and Graham because they were, they were, it was at the end of their day. They've just moved to Eden Park. Um, big shout out to Eden Park because Eric and the company nearly fell over in COVID because the doctors who were there, who were their landlords, as soon as COVID hit, kicked them out. So they knew that this was a, they knew that this was a bakers that employed disabled people. They knew the impact that it would have, but it's all about the money and, and the fact that it's doctors really, really Grinds my gears, I think the, the expression might be. But anyway, Eden Park stepped up. The CEO of Eden Park, great guy. He's making massive differences to the, the overall customer experience at Eden Park. He rang up Eric and Graham and said, look, we've got these big uh, hospitality kitchens. We're not using them apart from on game day. How about you come in? We'll save you bacon. And, and now they've got this wonderful home at New Zealand's home of rugby and home of cricket. And so I went along about four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon to meet them. We'd, we'd started to do a little bit of consulting work. They'd, we, we had a report to present to them. And I had half an hour with the bakers being shown around. And I don't get a lot of exposure. Well, I, I'm really quite coddled. You know, I don't know any people with disabilities, mm-hmm. really. And I didn't know how to speak to these people. It was a really confronting first few minutes. Right. I mean, I threw myself into it and I've, I've, it, it was such a fulfilling that, that Lawrence, who's one of the bakers, he's a great guy, finding out that he leaves his, his time, he's so engaged with his um, new career. He leaves his home in Silverdale, which is about an hour's commute away, probably about two hours on a commuting day. He leaves at 6.57 to get to start work at 10 a.m. and he's there well over an hour early every day. He stays an hour after. He's the happiest person. um, in his role and yeah what what the cookie project are doing 
um, that, that they've got QR codes on it. They've got these really cool dynamic QR codes on the back of their cookies where you can be introduced and leave messages for your baker, whoever baked your bag of cookies. I love that. Um, yeah, oh it's, it's just so wonderful. We're, I'm, I'm looking forward to um, my day of volunteering within the bakery, yeah. um, which is coming up soon. My kids are really excited because they think I'm going to be coming home with all these really delicious chocolate chip um, yes, cookies. Keep the expectation high. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that I certainly feel as if I'm, 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 I'm now on a journey that I didn't know I even needed to be on. I'm on a journey that is a really exciting journey as well, and um, I'm, I'm just delighted to be associated with a company like that. So yeah, it was Eric's. It was Eric's quote around the um, inviting people onto the dance floor. Well, I'm going to give a special shout out to Eric Graham and Lawrence, most especially at this <laughs> project. So what, I think that's so amazing. And we have something here where I am in Metro Atlanta in Lawrenceville, and it's called Special Needs. And it's a similar type of venture where we're having, um, there's uh, a man here and shout out to Special Needs if they're listening. And um, the owner of it, whose name I can't recall right now, a um, really lovely man. And he, he made it his point to employ people with special needs. And, and so they call it special needs, K-N-E-A-D-S, which I thought was a great place. Yeah, that is cool. That is very cool. Yeah. And, and so what they do is they have their bakery, but then they outsource um, the desserts. They send the desserts to other restaurants. And, and one of my favorite restaurants in town prior to COVID, but one of my favorite places to go eat and my little ones as well. That's where they got all their good cupcakes from. And when I tell oh, you wow. mind blowing, wonderful cupcakes, you need to wear your sweatpants. Everything must be stretchy. If you're <laughs> okay. And so I love that this is something possible and something else that I love that you just said. And, and this is what I'm loving about our conversation. What a great way to start a conversation on diversity. Um, you said that you're on a journey that you didn't know you needed to be on. Mm. And I find mm. that to be so wonderful um, because as somebody that has grown up with special needs people, um, my older brother, Reginald, he has autism as well as my son. And so, but the way that, and this speaks to the spectrum that autism in and of itself is, because mm-hmm. the way that my brother presents on the autism spectrum is very different from the way my son presents on the autism spectrum, right? Um, they do have some overlapping similarities, but for the most part, two entirely different people because they're individuals, right? Yeah, right. I always thought with my brother, I just thought, oh, okay, well, this is my brother. He's annoying like the other brothers. I also love him like the other brothers. So yeah. I, I knew that there was a difference insofar as our, our, you know, before you have the words when you're little, you don't know about neurodiversity, but you know that you learn differently, right? Yeah. And then as we got older, being the child, well, being the sibling of a special needs person, I learned one thing, but then being the parent of a special needs child, that took me on a whole different journey, right? It took me on a journey of learning how to be an advocate, first learning about what autism really truly was. Like I, I had to immerse myself in education um, so and experiences. And so what that's done is literally, I blame the kid for my company um, in the best way positive, in the best positive way, because he made me want to learn more um, for him and for me and our family but so also I can teach others more. And, and through learning more about this, I saw the possibilities that existed. There's a lot of time with um, people who have special needs, parents tend to go through a mourning of who they thought they were going to have, right? And then I think, well, how fair is that to any child, right? Um, 
parents shouldn't have to. It's a natural thing to do, but you know, rather than be stuck in that position, right? I, I always challenge people to do what you have to do, do, go through your period of mourning. But on the other side of it, there's a whole life waiting to happen. And there's a whole life that, like all other lives, will impact tons of other people, right? And so for me, the joy that I get is that with my son, everyone who meets him loves him, you know, and that makes me so happy as his mom. But that also shows me that, you know, he's capable of so many wonderful things. So everything they told us that he couldn't do, he's done. You know, the standard has always had to be high. You know, we were told not to show him other languages. And I'm like, but I was raised in a multilingual household. I don't know how else to be. So this is what he's going to get. And, you know, lo and behold, um, he loves listening to music that's in Spanish. He loves listening to, you know, Haitian music. He loves listening to the Jamaican music from his father's culture. Like, so, you know, he's taught himself how to play piano. So I also want people to understand that you can become a baker. You can become a pianist. You can become a surgeon. You can become Mm. a national champion swimmer. There are so many things that you can do. And I think knowing, and and this is why I commend you, knowing and being exposed to intentionally people who are different from us in every capacity, but particularly with special needs, um, that allows us to see the limitlessness of what can exist. Mm -hmm. It allows us to be futurists and see the possibilities, right? And so the barista is just as important as the surgeon. They're both providing a service to society, right? And it's really important that we... Well, this year, this year, those essential workers, they have really started to be recognized as essential. They're at the bottom, they feel at the bottom of the heap, I'm sure they do, and they're treated awfully in some of those, those roles. Yes. And we, you know, you see customers in some cases looking down as well on the essential workers. You see, if you're from certain demographics, I can imagine. But really, that we, our society breaks down without yeah. the essential workers. It doesn't break down without a customer experience consultant, exactly. <laughs> unfortunately. I mean, I'm here to I make mean, things better, but right. I'm not a vital, I'm not a vital role in the world. Right. I Whereas get nurses, Supermarket workers, shelf stackers, they are the ones that have literally kept our countries above um, from, from drowning in, in the sheer room. It's a float because people will do without, uh, you won't die without a diversity training, <laughs> but without an essential worker, you mm. will, right? And yeah. your, your end is near if you don't have somebody who's doing that. And for me, what I find to be most interesting is is, and I, I think you and I share this with regard to COVID because we've talked about this off air where um, mm. I think COVID is like money, honestly. It shows who you really are, right? And so, you know, what people say about money, the more you have, the more you actually become who you, who you are, right? It shows your character. And I think with COVID, it has shown our character. And, and it's also shown, you know, what we have the possibility of being, Right? Because is it hard to be kind to an essential worker? Is it hard to be kind to the nurse, the doctor, the person that's helping you feel better? Like it, it shouldn't be hard now, and it shouldn't have been hard then, quite honestly. Like to be polite is free, right? And so, like you and I were saying, you know, we can't give hugs now to people, but we can give smiles, right? Smiles mm-hmm. are free, you know. And I just think there, there's so much possibility that 
in, in how we can evolve from this pandemic, right? Um, it doesn't have to be, and, and I guess too, it's my personality where I'm not one, and I know you're not one to be like, oh, the, the sky is falling, right? It's bad, but there is an end. And I feel like that's, that's why I delved more into the podcasting journey, right? And it's only gotten better since then. So there, there are things to celebrate even during these difficult times. I think the person who is, I think um, Simon Sinek said this, um, there's a difference between being positive and being hopeful. So the person mm. who's positive, right, will say, oh, yes, you know, everything's fine, everything's good, and, and kind of gloss over all bad stuff. But the hopeful person, that person is the futurist, in my opinion. And the hopeful person looks at it and says, okay, this is trash. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but Not we can get through this. It can get better, and I'm going to yeah. make it better. Absolutely. And, and I love that you said make, because that has to do with intentionality, right? We have to make that choice. It, it's like... um. Someone used to always ask me this. How come you're always so happy all the time? And I'm like, I'm, I choose happiness. The day can be rubbish, right? But I choose to be happy because I can't control what happens in the day, but I can control my reaction to it. And naturally, mm. you get upset. But, you know, then I also throw out frowns, cause, frown lines and wrinkles. Those are expensive to fix. So it's cheaper to be happy. <laughs> so I always like yeah. that route. But Brenton, look at what we're doing. We're going into Bertine and Brenton, and we're not even telling our listeners all about you. <laughs> well, I, I mean, diversity is so important to what I do. I mean, yeah. but I, I want think, to learn about customer experience. Yeah, well, I, I think they're tied. I think they're very much part and parcel. Um, because I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, I've got a really varied background: sports shop worker media seller across radio t um every other media apart from tv action um loyalty programs i taught diving for a couple of years and i traveled the world but the one thing that unites all of those experiences is human experience um it is realizing that we're all different but we're all the same in some ways like traveling the world and finding out that really all we want to do is have healthy children who are fed well, that we have some education, that we have some stuff to look forward to, and we're with people that we love. And it doesn't matter what culture you're from, which country you're from, that's what your average person really craves. I also I also think that that human angle is has has been so lost on business in so many ways. Like there is this feeling that we can with some people I believe that they can leave their morals and ethics at the door of their office. And they can basically act in any way. I think a lot of families would be shocked to discover the way that their loved ones treat their employees mm. or how little their loved ones really care about their customers. And that really, excuse my language, it really pees me off. Um, I, I think that, that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a, I think it's a crime when you are exchanging your precious resources, whether that's time, which is the most precious of all, Absolutely. or money, and you come away feeling a little worse for it. Mm. Like, what's that all about? Where would we in any other part of our life with any of our friends think that that was, an, or our family, mm -hmm. an okay way to treat people? I don't even think that people would do that if they were look if they would if they were face to face with their customer. That's a very good point. I think the way that they behave when they don't have an immediate interaction with them, it's shocking to me 
how that changes, you know, because when you have to face a person, then if you're going to be rude to me, then you have to do it while you're looking at me, right? And that's much harder yeah. to do. We had, a, we had a guest on the show called Neil Butler who told us a fantastic story of when he was consulting in the banking industry. And he was moving. He thought, well, you know, this is a new client. I'm going to move my business across or at least some of my business across. And he had a dreadful customer experience. The whole journey was just jarring moments. And he thought, okay, well, I'm going to test out their feedback program. And I'm going to feedback how terrible this journey's been. And so he really, he really opened up both barrels. And so he's sitting in the meeting at the end of the month or the week and they're discussing this. And there's no, no one cares in the room. No, it's just a number. It's just a trend. It's just a, or an aberration. It's not a human being. And so at the end of the meeting, after they, at the end of this part of the meeting, he says, by the way, that's me. I left it. And it was like, everybody just jumped into action. Oh, this is terrible. That's an awful experience for you to go through. When they personalized it to a human being that was standing in front of me, they all agreed it was inexcusable what he went through. But when it's just a number, no one really cares what's happening to that number because all they're caring about is the other numbers. It's just they're running their, their companies by focusing on those successful business outcomes mm-hmm. instead of really caring about the successful human outcomes that their employees and their customers are exchanging their resources to, to achieve. Now we would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Westbridge Solutions is a professional training company focusing on diversity, inclusion, cultural competence, and soft skills trainings. Westbridge Solutions offers a variety of innovative training courses, both in-person and online, live and self-paced. Their clients include corporations, government organizations, healthcare organizations, the nonprofit sector, universities, and individuals such as yourself. Through their rigorous training programs, trainees learn to understand differences, leverage commonalities, and achieve organizational, professional, and personal actualization. To learn more about Westbridge Solutions, please feel free to visit their website at www.westgrouptraining.com or follow them on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Westbridge Solutions, empowering professionals for success. I love that you said that. I was speaking to someone earlier today about their need for diversity training at their company. And this brings that to mind because um, one of the in charges, if you will, one of the executive team um, had said, well, look at these stats. And, and when, um, when everything happened with, you know, Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd and, and just the succession of just horrible event after horrible event, um, when that happened, they called her in and she happens to be a black woman and they asked her what her thoughts were, which that's problematic for so many reasons, right? Because mm-hmm. she's not the black representative. She's still processing her own feelings. She's not responsible for 500 employees' feelings. But yeah. their, their response to her her feeling just upset, but not even her feeling upset, but their response to the the events that had occurred was to break out a sheet uh, with numbers showing diversity trends at their company saying, okay, if we hire five more of this and three more of that and two more of this, then that should be okay. And that to me is appalling uh, because mm. that is a problem. And that's what um, 
Kimberly Crenshaw. She speaks on intersectionality, but um, I think it's, I want to say it's Paula Pope. I hope I'm not misquoting, but she says that, Ms. Pope says that um, there's an illusion of inclusion, right? And that's when you just have faces at the table. And so that's when you were saying you're, you're paying attention to the what, but not the who, right? Um, what yeah. makes us human. So that human quotient, you know, as I like to refer to it, mm. that is the real, that's where the real magic happens. I well, I love that human quotient. That's great. I mean, we, we say that business, I really think the B2B and B2C labels are problematic. Mm-hmm. Tell me about every, I love yeah. about that. So every single company, really, unless you're AI selling to AI, you're a human to human business. Mm-hmm. Like the same rules that apply between the, the, the same neuroscience that's going on between you and I when we talk and we interact. It's exactly the same neuroscience that's going on between customers and employees. Yep. Like a customer sees a brand as a, as a personality of an entity. And so it is, it, is, it is something that allows them to reach a successful outcome or to, to achieve a goal. But no one's, no one's a customer with a company to give them money. Right. Right. That's oh, not I, what the outcome is. It's yeah. not the transaction. I don't buy a fishing rod to put a smile on the sports shop owner's face. I buy it to catch a fish. Right. And yeah, really, for me, I know that in a in a large proportion of retail environments, no one could really care what the outcome is. I think they would rather I was just a shopping addict. And I was really, there are people who are addicted to that dopamine surge at the transaction. And, and those the people, it's, it's exacerbated that. I've seen on social media, just people saying they're buying something every day, you know, from an online vendor. And I'm thinking... A, why do you have that kind of time? B, that doesn't seem healthy because it doesn't seem like you're enjoying the experience either. And so... Well, you're getting dopamine. And so I, I love dopamine. I love the, the concept of dopamine. It's so important because it is the equivalent to our brains. It's like oxygen for our lungs, mm-hmm. for our brains. We cannot solve any future problems without dopamine. So out of all the neurotransmitters that are in your brain, it is the only one that's not focused on the here and now about how you're feeling. It's focused on the future. They call it the molecule of more. Oh, I like it makes that. us want more. There's a great book called The Molecule of More. I'd invite anybody to read it because if you can understand dopamine, then you can pretty much understand the human condition. I'm a very dopaminergic person. And so there are people with different levels of natural dopamine or requirements for dopamine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I, I predict you are as well because you think about the future a lot. I do. And I didn't realize how much so, you know, before you have the, the terminology for who and how you are, um, I didn't realize I was a futurist. I didn't realize so many things about even my communication style. There's, um, there's an assessment called the five voices assessment. And I don't know if you've heard of it, but have you heard of it? I'm going to send it. No, to I you. haven't, but I want to, um, I'm intrigued. I'm going to send it to you. And so um, the five voices, that lets you know, and it's transformational. Um, And I use it in my trainings, and it was so wonderful to learn, and I recommend that everyone learn it. It's actually, um, I think, I think, don't quote me, but I think it's someone from New Zealand who's one of the partners that created it. Oh, cool. Yeah, super cool. And so um, with that, it, it tells you not only the voice that you have, because there are five of them, and each of us has three, up until three, but there's a major one for each of us. And then the others are secondary and tertiary. 
But um, it, it's great for self-awareness in leadership, but it's also great to know the voice of the person giving you a message, right? And so for me, I'm a nurturer creative. And I used to think, no, that's not even possible, a nurturer creative. <laughs> I'm not here to coddle anybody, you know, but then being a nurturer as it was um, defined, like my combo is essentially being a futurist and caring about what people think. And, and just, I was stunned and I've taken tons of these type of things before, but this one honestly is the one that stands out bar none. That's why I want to share it with you because okay. it is so, it's so spot on that I thought to myself, this, this person must know me, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. And they were breaking it down. I was like, oh my gosh, now I have the words for who and how I am. So I think knowing that about ourselves, right? Knowing, like you said, from the, the molecule of more, like knowing that you're somebody that needs dopamine in this way, it lets you not only be more self-aware, but it lets you relate to others. And thus, I think this, uh, based upon what we're talking about, like customer experience is something we each have with one another, Right. Yeah. Yeah. Are we customers of dopamine from one another, like that feel-good feeling? Like we want to. Well, kind. Of, well, kind of depends. If it's about the future, it's a, if it's about solving your future needs, then it definitely is. But the thing with dopamine is, if you can't get a healthy supply of dopamine, mm -hmm. and you get dopamine in a variety of ways, usually when expectations are met or exceeded. So if you're expecting to go to a great party then you're probably going to have a low dopaminergic experience because you get there. You know, you know those Friday, let's, let's think of non-COVID years where, you know, Friday comes and, yeah, and, maybe, prior, and maybe to prior kids as well, uh, <laughs> where Friday comes and it's a ad hoc get together. Hey, so we go out for a few drinks and you weren't really expecting anything and you end up having a fantastic night. Well, that's because your expectation levels have been exceeded and you have had a massive surge of dopamine and you might have got some dopamine from the whiskey as well if you're a whiskey drinker, or from um, some strong red wine. You won't get it from beer, funnily enough. So you need, you need stronger liquor to get, to get the dopamine. That, that feeling of euphoria when you're getting drunk is, and when you, when you move into the drunk stage, that's where the, the dopamine loses the fight to keep you excited and it gets um, kind of drowned out by the, the other drunken uh -huh. neurotransmitters. But if we're, we, we can also get it by hitting goals. So if we set goals and we hit a goal, we get a surge of dopamine. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. And um, if we get surprised, we get dopamine. Oh, my gosh. Now you're nailing it for me because I love surprises. I love giving them. I love getting them. And, yeah. and I didn't even think about that with relationships to dopamine, but that makes so much sense. Yeah. So if you've not got any goals to go for, then you will your body will crave dopamine from unhealthy sources which is why gambling, drug addiction, all drugs, whether it's cocaine or heroin, both sides of a different of the same different sides of the same coin. Mm -hmm. They're both dopamine providers. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we get this our brain doesn't care where it gets its dopamine from on a biological physiological level. It just wants dopamine. It just needs to breathe and think about and so if you're only getting dopamine or you're getting a really high load of dopamine from your drug of choice, whether that's Facebook, whether that's, um, or, or it's a narcotic, well, then you'll have no drive to get dopamine from anywhere else. And that's why 
drug addicts lose their their drive and impetus to to succeed because actually they don't need the dopamine. The only reason why we're driving to succeed is because we're probably dopaminergic people and we know that that's a really healthy, good supply and achievable supply of dopamine. So if you're shopping and you're only buying it for the transaction, then you're addicted to the dopamine hit. Mm. But you're, and I tell, I tell this to consumers, start thinking a little bit more about why you're buying things. Com- retail companies hate this. Yes, they're not going to be our fans, but that's why we're here. <laughs> but, but they need to be our fans. They need to be our fans because without their customers, and customers will learn, you know, they'll, they'll look for, well, get bored with that dopamine hit. So that's why those transactions never turn into loyal, you know, addicted shoppers are not loyal shoppers. They go from place to place because they want fresh, new. It's got to be a regular change because, again, if you're just getting what you receive every day, if you're going shopping at the same place, you're not going to get your dopamine hit every time you buy a T-shirt from J&J's or wherever it is or TNT. If you only buy a T-shirt from there, well, every time you buy a T-shirt, your dopamine hit will get less and less. You just blew my mind with that, that an addicted shopper is not a loyal shopper. I think that's what that was. But when you explain it like that, it's a clear difference. That's so yeah, funny. yeah. Well, they, 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 you know, they spread themselves around. They're, uh, they're, they're unfaithful to all their, all their shops. But if you, and also, they, they probably know that if they're only shopping for addiction, well, they're not helping themselves produce a bigger goal. So the dopamine gets less and less. Whereas if, as a consumer, you can think, why am I buying this? And I've started doing this a lot more, especially with the business. Because I haven't got the the funds to just chuck money on stuff that seems like that's that seems like a good idea. And I've definitely done that with a few suppliers in New Zealand, some marketing people that were that provided a very low dopamine dopamine experience because I didn't I didn't achieve what I set out to achieve. So there was no dopamine at the end of it. Um, but now when I make a decision, I'm looking long term. I'm thinking, where does this fit in with my future? What is what problems is this helping with and if i can't identify that then i know that i'm really just trying to get an easy cheap hit of dopamine instead of investing the time and effort to get some really healthy dopamine that's gonna but dopamine needs to be our friend we need to use it we need to recognize it's there and it has it's such a bad rap you know dopamine dopey i never even considered and this is why i wanted to talk to you about customer experience because I never, I don't, I don't hear about this often, you know? So, you know, like you and I were talking about my experience at the supermarket and why I will drive further away Mm. from a particular supermarket um, and not the one that's right near me because of that experience. And now I'm through your words and what you're imparting upon me. I'm looking at it through dopamine tinted glasses, if you will. Good. I, I, I love educating people about or introducing people to dopamine because I'm no, my background science, but it's not neuroscience. It's very much, yeah. I've taken a real interest in this over the last three years because it's so, I've, I've realized it's just inherent to everything that we do. Like if we're going to engage better with our customers, if we're going to have better engaged employees, if our managers, I did some work on our, you, know, you talk about, you talked about Simon Sinek. And his wonderful book, um, Start With Why. So I read that right at the beginning of Halftime Orange's journey. And I was thinking, yeah, what is my why? Like, I think it's I want to help humans inside and outside of organization. 
That's kind of what it, what it is. That's why. Well, exactly. We have the same why, which is why this is why I focus companies' attention on understanding what the outcomes that their customers are trying to achieve. Because because you and I, as companies, we can learn so much from each other's customer journeys, even though we are in what would be deemed an unrelated industry. Because our customers are trying to achieve the same thing. They're trying to treat humans better inside and outside of their organizations, you would hope. So if they're trying to do that, that's what I'm trying to do. And we come across two different types of companies, the ones that are doing it because it's going to make them money, and then the others that are doing it because they know that progress is required, that we have to start recognizing the individual, that we have to celebrate our differences, and as well as really explore what makes us the same. You know, we can't, I think we can focus too much time on, on differences. Like we try and focus companies on three different types of people because that's a manageable number. It creates about 16 different segments if you can split your company just with three different clear differences between companies. And I don't, I don't mean by the color of their skin or the race or the religion or where they live, but much more. I ask companies to find out from their their clients, what their favorite film is. Mm. And, but, but more importantly, why is it their favorite film? Not what their favorite film is, but why is it your favorite film? Where do you, where, if you had a million dollars, where would you travel to? And why? Without the why, we don't understand. It's just another metric. It's just another fact, but it's got no context to it. So I, I really invite my clients and, and anyone who I, who I get to, to talk with to really look at those those qualitative differences between us you know what what why are we doing the things that we do because that's where the real gold is that's why you and i get on so well because we've got the same mission we do we truly do have the same why oh my yeah, god the, the journey is different but the mission is the same and that means that we can learn a lot from each other absolutely right. absolutely mm. And I, I so enjoy that and I'm grateful for that. And and again, this is when it's important to be intentional, right? And to literally reach out because there's somebody waiting to reach back towards you, I always feel. Yeah. Um, I always say um, extending a hand is the easiest choice. You know, I truly do. And I, I'm loving what you said about just looking at the qualitative things about people rather than just the demographics. And, and again, going back to that human quotient, and this is, why I love talking to you about this before making this connection between the customer experience and the diversity, equity, and inclusion experience. Because on the face of it, they would seem like two subjects that have nothing to do with each other when in actuality, they're quite well intertwined. So mm-hmm. I love that we were able to have this discussion, share it with our audience. And well, the, the, there isn't even, I mean, one of the things that got me feeling like this was such an important thing to do was the differences that um, people of color experience in customer experience. I mean, I remember reading an article in the Herald just, it was about a month before I started Halftime Orange, and it was a jewelist who had treated this um, Pacifica lady like she was a criminal. They wouldn't let her wear the, they wouldn't let her try on some of the more expensive jewelry. They had spent something like $20,000 with this jewelers. And when she came in, she was kind of followed around as if she was some kind of future problem. Yeah. I mean, what a disgraceful way to treat somebody that is coming into your business. 
I mean, we if we, we're also, I, I tell companies stop treating your your customers like they're all going to do something wrong, because you'll actually human nature means if you do treat people like they're they're going to make an, a mistake, well then they're more likely to do that. Right. It's like if you they've shown that if you put lots of security measures in your store, you will see an increase in shoplifting. I absolutely believe that. I absolutely if you smile and say hello to everyone who comes in your store, you will reduce shoplifting because all of a sudden you you take it down to a human to human basis. People people don't want to screw each other over. I don't believe. I don't believe that that's the the, the natural way of thinking. Another book I love recommending books. Rutger Bergman, who wrote a fantastic book on I I, I discovered him um, because of his passion for universal basic income. And what a revolutionary thing that would be for for all society. But he wrote a book called Humankind. And you'll love this because what it does, it blows the myth on the fact that we're not kind people and that collaboration is not our natural way of working. But with this neoliberal view that we're all independent and we're all out for ourselves and everyone's kind of a bit of a shit, it's not true. Like we're all, society's, the system is making us do that. The system is engendering that, but on a on a core basis, we want to help our fellow man and woman um, and neighbor. Are so insane because I've heard of that book. I've not read it yet, but I've heard of it. And the premise, as you described it, I agree with that completely. I I think at our core, we are good and we want to do good. And and I really do think the wanting to do good is is our journey. It's sometimes when we fail and fall short. But it's that intentional desire to want to do good. I, I do believe this is where we are. And I and that's why I tell people, you know, although it seems bad, and it is right now, it will get better. It, it truly will get better. That's so funny that you mentioned that. Oh, my goodness. But there you go. That, good. You, Clearly, you must read it now that yeah, you've no, been recommended elsewhere. Yeah. No, I Wonderful. have to. And so now we're wrapping up the show. Brenton, I want you to tell people what are two things that you want to impart upon our listeners? Done a bit of that already, I think. I mean, I actually had a couple of things written down. I'd want you all to remember that you're dealing with humans, but the numbers that you're looking at on your spreadsheet, they're they're humans and they should be treated like human beings. If you do that, you will see your business grow. You will see the conversations that you have grow. Seek to understand your customer. The other thing I'd like to, to focus on is the real power of customer insights in business, like if, and human insights in business. That's what you should be searching for in everything that you do as a, as a, as a, as a business person. You should be trying to understand the stakeholders, the, the humans that you come into contact with all the time, because you will get better results by doing that. I see customer insights almost as being the sun inside an organization, radiating value and insights throughout human resources, through the process people, through operations, through marketing, through sales, through service. Everybody benefits in an organization when a customer insight, when a customer insight team, a customer insight person is able to spread their, their love of their customers throughout that organization. So embrace it. Don't fear it. It's hard because it's, it requires systems thinking. But all the big problems do require systems thinking. I think that's probably why we're struggling as a species to beat climate change, because it's such a difficult system. And when you look at the system, it's a bit too complex for most people to get their head around. So they go back to their A-B thinking. 
And we need our leaders, the people at the top, to really half-time orange. It's a football reference. We give them a in soccer games, we give half-time oranges out to the kids. It gives them the chance to stop and think right. and review what they've done and refresh themselves for the second half. Well, that's what I want half-time orange to do. I want it to um, refresh um, from all the stuff that we've learned, all the ways that we've done badly in the past. How do we get the insights from that wrong human connection so that we can create far stronger human connections moving forward? I'm, I'm, I'm at risk of rambling on about human experience, so I'll, I'll stop there. I think those two things are pretty valuable. And, no, yeah. I love that because um, this is how we keep the conversation going. And and I again, I so love how we are able to discuss customer experience and diversity, equity, and inclusion, and and what mm. that can actually do, and and how that lends itself to futuristic thinking. Right? I just feel like if we, by our conversation today, um, can get other people to think and stop and refresh as Halftime Orange does, right? Mm. And take an intentional pause um, and then start a conversation with somebody else about this. Um, this is our slogan here at um, Global Fluency Podcast is let's keep the conversation going, right? And I feel like this is the perfect conversation starter. I, I really mm. like that. And so on that note, tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get in contact with you on your social media. How can they get in touch with yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah, I, I I have a very low bar of accept, acceptance on link, LinkedIn. Um, I just love to connect with anybody. Please don't just reach out and try and sell me something straight away, though, because that's starting to become quite a problem on LinkedIn, I think. And I, I, and again, I would I would question people: Have you ever bought anything that way? I think we do a, a lot. Sometimes we do things that we know that we would never respond to. So I don't think I don't think it's a, a it's not an intentional thing, but it's the problem when you're thinking like a business instead of thinking like a human being. So yeah, please reach out on LinkedIn. Um, I've got the podcast, the HCI podcast, which is now on all podcast services, I believe. And um, we've got Halftime Orange on Facebook as well. So please reach out and um, yeah, let us know if uh, you agree with anything that I've said today. Um, and then let's keep that conversation going, as Bettine said. That'd be wonderful. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, B, for being on the show. I'm I'm so delighted to have you. I knew we would have a great conversation, but it's always too short though. Far too short. I know. And just <laughs> talking off air before we even started recording. No, I love no. it. I love it. Right. So on that note, everyone, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast with our special guest, Brenton Weber, all the way from New Zealand. So have a great day. Think about these conversations reach us on our social media, uh, the Global Fluency Podcast on all your favorite podcasting stations. Uh, reach out to us on Facebook. And of course, you can find me, Bertine Prebacol West, on LinkedIn as well. Thank you for tuning in to the Global Fluency Podcast. And let's keep the conversation going. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Global Fluency Podcast. Tune in every Tuesday of the month at 10 a.m. for our latest episode. Connect with us on our social media. You can find us on Facebook at Global Fluency Podcast and on Instagram at Westbridge Solutions, LLC. Global Fluency Podcast. Understanding differences. Leveraging commonalities. Let's keep the conversation going, going, going.